Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fully Grown Podcast, Ministry of Turner Christian Church. I am Pastor Jack. I am Pastor Rachel. And I'm Pastor Matt. One of the things we do on the Fully Grown Podcast is reflect on our worship services together, and uh, that kind of brings about all of the Sunday morning experience. And so one of the things that I kind of want to chat about and just what I was reflecting on going into this week was our Sunday morning classes. Uh, we got a couple of those going on right now. And um, in our class, we talked a little bit about um, Galatians 2. And one of the stories within Galatians 2 that Paul brings up is when he confronts Peter. And I've always kind of enjoyed reading that story, just seeing someone comment on how you know they they called someone out to their face right it's just kind of funny and how he just approaches that subject matter um but i just find great value in the story too you know peter is doing something that is um pretty pretty destructive to the gospel in more ways than just one and paul just feels the need to call that out in a very significant way because of peter's position um, you know, Peter is a, a leader in terms of the faith, and um, people know he's a leader. And so when he does something that's contrary to the gospel, um, that can be really destructive to what is um, happening in terms of the spread of the gospel and how, you know, specifically Gentile believers in this story were handling the gospel and were handling what they were hearing. Um, and I just find great value in the story. And, I, you know, the conversations that we had were were really, really, um, really exciting for me and really enjoyable for me to just be able to discuss that with others and um, kind of lead a discussion on that. Um, you know, in terms of just reflecting on that, it was it was a good time. And I just would invite anyone to join the classes that we have if they uh, feel led to. Um, you know, Matt, Rachel, I don't know if you have anything to share on the story itself or classes or, or anything like that, but that was something that I found beneficial yesterday or what Sunday, Sunday morning? Yeah, yeah. I I just want would say that I'm I'm always aware that as the preacher, people hear my voice and my perspective a lot more than anybody else's during the service, and so I'm really glad that we have classes on Sunday mornings going again, where they get to hear from people who have different perspectives than me, not just different interpretations of scripture um, or different educations, but different backgrounds and different focuses. So. Uh, you know, you're teaching a class on Galatians and James, and which is not a combination I had heard of, which, and I think it's awesome now that I've heard about it. And then to have Debbie teaching a class on um, processing emotions and art, and and that's something that I would be horribly qualified to teach, even if I had thought of it. And so I love those um, those opportunities for people to to dig deeper with each other. And uh, also, I do find that story convicting because, like you said, it, it reminds us as leaders that um, there's there's more power in our mistakes sometimes. And that means that our mistakes often need to be called out more um, urgently. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just really love that um, classes can be such a wonderful opportunity, um, like small groups for people to share their gifts and talents with the congregation. And so Debbie being able to share her gifts and talents for reflective prayer and um, learning about God through art and focusing in on meditating on scripture and discussing those things is just so wonderful. 
yeah um you know and i just you know you kind of brought something up matt with um you know just leaders in in the church and uh one of the things you know i'm not like advocating that every single thing that ever happens be called out publicly but one of the things i read was um paul publicly called out peter because peter's um in a sense sin was a public sin it was something he was doing very publicly um and was causing people in you know a general sense to um you know kind of go back and 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 seek out um the law as opposed to just you know believing in jesus and uh so paul felt the need to call that out publicly because it was a public offense and so yeah it wasn't just something that he did publicly but it was a pu- like the thing that he did was the way he was behaving with the public with the group mm-hmm. And so it wasn't a matter of what he was doing individually. It was a matter of how he was um, shaping the gathering, shaping the congregation. Yeah. Um, so, Matt, you uh, you said there was something yesterday on Sunday. I keep saying yesterday on Sunday that uh, um, you were reflecting on that you found great value in. Yeah. Um, I like that our conversations are going to be not just on the sermon, but on the service. And one of the things that I love about the way we do communion in, in our church and churches like ours is that there's a meditation that um, there's a rotation and I'm intentionally not on it because it's another opportunity every Sunday for us to hear from more than just me and more than just ministers. And so um, on Sunday we had uh, a meditation by Dave Stoker and it was the first one that I had heard from him and his job in, involves um, uh, airline fuel. It's not a ministry occupation. And, and he mentioned what he'd been reflecting on in the course of doing his job. And I always find that really helpful. I really, <clears throat> I really appreciated what he had to say. And I also appreciated where it came from. The job, uh, the ministry that I was in before uh, Turner was in enterprise which is very rural county we had a lot of farmers and i always enjoyed hearing what the farmers had been talking about on their combines you know they'd say i was out on the tractor and i was thinking about this and this is what what came to me and it was always again something i wouldn't have come up with and i find that really valuable so i just i really enjoy that part of the service yeah i just love that we have such an opportunity to to learn from one another and sometimes we kind of put pastors or preachers up on a pedestal and saying like, oh, this is our primary source of of knowledge from God. And God has brought the whole church body together and given us each gifts and talents and insights and time with him. And for Dave, while he's he's traveling, he has time with God. And it's not a ministry occupation, but Christ is with him everywhere. And he's a representative of Christ in this earth. And, um, and there's such a richness in that. And when we can have him get up and share a meditation thought and, and we can learn from our brother like what a rich experience that can be mm-hmm. um and yeah I, I love that opportunity as well yeah i think for me i i try to remember that the distinction uh for us between ministers and um lay people is not it's not necessarily a matter of authority as it is responsibility mm-hmm. that we have we are um we are put in a position by the church where we are able to spend our time preparing and studying and um, learning and uh, to do ministry. And then, then it's a responsibility to be able to 
lead the church in a, in a sermon on a regular basis or in a lesson, things like that. Um, and so, so I have the responsibility to do that on a regular basis, um, because the church gives me the opportunity by paying me. So I don't have to have another job, but others are just as capable of hearing from God, of learning from scripture and presenting that to the church. Um, they just don't have the responsibility to do it on a weekly basis. Um, and so I, there are, yeah, there, there's more to be said about the role of authority in the church, but I appreciate the reminder that there is so much wisdom in the church that is outside of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I need, you know, pastors always need to remember that and be reminded of it. So I enjoy that. I enjoy that part. And I think, you know, part of being submissive and, and flexible and teachable, um, is is looking for where God is speaking through others. And in your sermon on Sunday, you were talking about um, a lot about Cain and Lamech. And I, I mean, there's such sin in that family and such self-deception and arrogance and pride. And, and it starts with um, Cain being unwilling to be corrected by God, right? Like God gives him so many opportunities to change his behavior and Cain keeps being like, nope, gonna do it my own way. And and then you see this like legacy through the family and 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 Cain had the, the luxury of, um, it seems in the text, like a real physical intimacy with God, like God really directly spoke to him. And, um, and for us, we often get that, um, through other people, through God's word, um, and and do we ever have that same kind of arrogance? Nope, I'm going to go my own way. Nope, I'm not going to listen to the wisdom of those around me who God is speaking through. No, I'm not going to listen to the wisdom of God. Um, and so I was really contemplating that after your sermon. You talked about how you know the decisions that we make do affect others, and we see that in Cain's legacy. Like, how much worse is Lamech? Than Cain was <laughs> like like the the evil just keeps congealing the the bad decisions and the harm and and there's just such um, arrogance around that. I'm gonna brag that I killed a young kid who inconvenienced me or gave me a minor in- injury. Like I'm I'm I find that something worthy of bragging over. Mm-hmm. And and how far have we come in just such a, a short time period between? Um, uh, you know, God giving Cain the opportunity to repent and Lamech celebrating his evil. And I think that's a really humbling reminder, not, not to be fearful of, um, of the sin that we're capable of. We, we, we know that it exists. We know that we're going to mess up. We know that we're going to choose bad things, but just the reminder to be, um, just tenderhearted before the Lord, like, when we reject the plans that God has for us, when we reject the repentance or the redemption that God is inviting us to, like there's only worse things down that road. Mm-hmm. There's there's only greater darkness. Um, and we can really deceive ourselves and, and say like, I don't need to be taught anything by God. I don't need to submit to God's word. I don't need to listen to the voices of wise people around me. I don't need to grow and change. I know what's best. Um, and... And so, you know, my my contemplation is, all right, how do I sit with the fact that I am a sinful person and not 
not allow that to lead me? How can I bring myself to a more tender-hearted place? Mm-hmm. And so for the two of you, you know, what what things help you be more tender-hearted before the Lord? I mean, I think for me, there's a lot of it that comes down to, um, you know, one of my, <laughs> one of the things that I hear said a lot that I kind of always find humor with is when someone says, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread or something like that, you know? Um, and just thinking about how, like, I, I'm not the greatest thing since sliced bread. Like, there's plenty of people that come before me, plenty of people come after me that, like, you know, have so many valuable things to offer. Um, some have accomplished more than I have. Some will definitely accomplish more than I will, you know, all those different things. Um, and just seeing the value that other people have and um, thinking about that um, often. Um, because there there can be times where, you know, humanity sets in and I think about, you know, like, I just think that the way I view the world is how the world is when that's not true, you know, like people view the world in different ways than I do. Um, you know, I have a general view of the world that is, can be optimistic at times, but also one that can be pessimistic at times. Um, and that reveals itself in different ways. Um, but for the most part, you know, I just see the world as kind of, kind of broken most of the time, you know, and um, sometimes it helps to have someone who views the world as this wonderful, beautiful, amazing place because, um, you know, how I view the world is not always reality. Um, reality is much bigger than, than my brain can handle. Um, you know, God knows what reality is. Um, and so I think it just comes down to understanding that my worldview, my perspective is not the only one that exists. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there's there's millions and billions more of those perspectives. And uh, yeah. sometimes how I view things is not correct. So, you know, that um, there's as I was reading on Genesis one, there was a commentary that talked about how uh, we shouldn't individualize the um, the statement that that we are made in the image of God that it's not that an individual person is made in the image of God so much as it is humanity is made in the image of God so yes. that it is by our collective insight by you know un- guided by God that we reflect him and um so and I, I just think that resonates with what you were saying that it's uh, there's more to God than and more to truth than my perspective truth is uh, God is the only one who can see it all and um yeah we're limited by our perspective i think for me what uh what from this story specifically helps me to be tender-hearted before god is to try and be pulled away from an individualistic view of sin that sin is just the, like like crime we look at sin like crime and that you know we we commit crime as individuals and we bear the consequences of crimes as individuals but that's not how sin works and we see that in this story because God gives Cain a way to limit the effects of his sin by wandering and by by paying the in a way paying the price himself. He doesn't want to wander, so it's a bad thing. It's it's an unpleasant thing that he has to do that would limit the consequences of his sin. And instead, he 
chooses to be self-centered and to protect himself. And that just pushes the consequences onto others. And if I remember that sin is not just about my comfort and the consequences on me, then it gives me a wider view of what I've, what I've really done and, um, and, or what the consequences of what I've done can be. And that, that can keep me from thinking, oh, it's, you know, it, I got away with it. So it's fine. Um, cause I think that's a lot of times what we do is we, we wince and nothing happens and we think, okay, then it must not have been bad or, you know, I must've gotten away with it. Um, but we don't always see the effects that our sin has. And I also thought it was interesting because you said, you talked about how it gets worse over time. And, and, uh, I forget what it was that you said that made me think of like, in this case, we actually get a number of how much worse it gets. I mean, I, I don't know that this, you can take this as like a scientific mathematic formula, but it's in four generations, it's 11 times worse, at least in, according to Lamech's poetry that he's the, he's, you know, the fourth generation after Cain and his vengeance is 11 times worse than, than Cain's. So it yeah. just, yeah, it just gets out of control very quickly. Which is not to say that um, if you come from a family with a lot of sinful and destructive behaviors that you are then destined to also have sinful, destructive behaviors. That is a reminder that um, we always have an invitation to change and we always have an invitation to be tenderhearted. And instead, Cain's family just keeps going down the path that Cain has set them on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the scripture is full of God giving people opportunities to depart from those patterns. And so they're not destined to, to go down that path, but if they don't choose to follow God, that's the only other path available. The only other path that humans can make for themselves is, um, is down that road. And so we all have the opportunity to choose God's path and to ask him to, to change our direction. Yeah. How incredible of a story would it be if Lamech said, you know, well, my father would have avenged himself, but I, um, but I, I'm sorry, Lamech is Cain's son, right? No, he's grandson. Great, 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 great grandson. Fourth generation. Thank you. (laughs) It's like, that's wrong. Um, yeah, my great grandfather, uh, you know, murdered uh, unrepentantly, but I forgive yeah. completely. You know, <laughs> I have my one wife and I love her and I am a man of forgiveness and I have cho- chosen a different way and mm-hmm. God is in the world and I have gone and found him. Like that could be this story. Mm-hmm. This is not a foregone conclusion. And you know, there is a, there is ultimately a son of Cain way, way down the line, who, who would say, I have forgiven a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. You know, you go down the line of humanity enough, you get to Jesus who, who does take this in the right direction where he could take what Lamech has said and flip it around, um, in a, yeah. Another part of what we do on the Fully Grown Podcast is discuss um, some some different stories that don't necessarily make the cut for sermons on Sundays and 
Uh, today we are talking about the curse of Canaan, um, a scene between Noah and his sons. And so we are going to read through that. Pastor Rachel will read us through that, and then we'll discuss that. So we are going to pick uh, the story up in Genesis 9, verse 18. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way so that they would not see their father naked. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves, will he be to his brothers. He also said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. Okay, this is a weird story. And uh, it's... It, yeah, this is just a challenging story, uh, which is part of the reason why it's in the podcast rather than the sermon series. Uh, and the first challenge that we have in reading it in terms of the plan is figuring out what the coordinates are. And this is a good example. We're going to see this in the sermon as well, that sometimes you read a story unit like this and it doesn't have the coordinates in the story. You actually have to go back for the coordinates because sometimes God sets the coordinates at one point and humanity lives under those same coordinates for a long time. And then um, there are multiple stories where they have the same purpose or where God is in the same place and the coordinates don't change. This is a smaller scale version of that because we do get coordinates earlier in chapter nine. And the the people in this case are Noah and his family they've come off the ark and the place is there they're filling uh the whole land is available to them and the the mission that they're given in verse chapter 9 verse 7 is be fruitful and increase in number multiply on the earth and increase upon it so they're basically given the same command as earlier in genesis 1 they're the same instructions that humanity has uh, all along so they're just supposed to rule on God's behalf. And the thing is, none of that information really helps us to figure out what exactly is going on in this story. And that's because, and that actually helps us to understand where the story fits because it's kind of, it, it's just a, a very ancient story. It's very much in uh, a, from a different culture and a different time than now. And so we're going to talk through this and kind of figure out what, what went wrong because uh, the next step in the in the plan is to say, what did they do? And so what went wrong in this story? And then we'll talk about uh, to what degree God acted or didn't act in this story and what that tells us. So question, what did they do and what did they do wrong? I think there's a lot of different things that different uh, characters have done wrong in this story. Mm-hmm. Um Actually, J- Jack, sorry to interrupt, but you made a point when we prepared for this that might help us get our coordinates really well. Can you talk about how this story connects with Genesis 2 and 3? Yeah, um, you know, just in, in studying the story, there's quite a bit that reflects the story of Adam um, in terms of Noah, reflecting the story of Adam. Um, just the 
in terms of you know what their purpose is 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 as very similar uh, it seems in terms of ruling over the earth um and doing different things like that and um you know i think one of the things that i've i found interesting in kind of reading about this this perspective was that um you know noah kind of starts off doing something good uh, cultivating the earth and you know growing crops and doing stuff like that and ends up growing a vineyard um and then he kind of abuses that which is kind of similar to how you know adam and and eve were supposed to rule over the earth and and um on god's behalf but then they ended up abusing something beautiful within the garden right um and ate the forbidden fruit and um everything went downhill from there um but there's kind of that reflected in the story there's there's uh, nakedness reflected um within the story with noah and his sons and with it with adam and eve in the garden so there's a lot of different things that um parallel in those two different stories um to the point of which noah is kind of you know people have mentioned him as kind of a a new adam in a way um and so um yeah there's quite a bit of parallels there as you're saying that it made me think, you know, there isn't an explicit command to him not to like, like Adam and Eve had an explicit command not to eat from that tree. But for Noah, it's also not nearly as short of a process. Like this was clearly premeditated. Hmm. He didn't in a moment of weakness, go up and, and get drunk on wine. Like he had to figure out how to make it and then had to make it, which is a process. Like he invested a lot of effort yeah. in this. Yeah. So so what was so let's go back then to the the question what did they do uh, so he makes the the wine he gets drunk and ends up uh, naked in his tent and then ham sees him and goes out and tells the brothers and then the brothers cover him cover noah up and are very careful not to look at him and then noah comes out and curse and pronounces a curse so what what are they what's going wrong in this story I think there definitely is the instance of Noah abusing what he has planted. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he, he he got drunk and that ended up being a bad thing. Um, he was in a very vulnerable uh, position, obviously, when he got drunk. And then Ham seems to come along and kind of take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I kind of imagine this, this scene going in the way of, you know, like he's kind of, you know, uh, the word gossip came up earlier. Um, when we were talking about this, he's kind of going along and saying, guys, guess what dad did? You know, he got drunk and now he's naked in the tent, um, which is obviously a very, very wrong perspective to have, um, especially with how I think they view nakedness in that culture. That's definitely a very, very wrong thing for him to do. Um, and so that kind of ends up creating then what... Um, you know, what we kind of discussed earlier as being wrong. And I don't know if Rachel wants to kind of talk about that because I know she kind of um, brought that perspective up of, you know, what what Noah doing after the fact of Ham seeing him naked uh, being wrong. Sure, yeah. So the way that the text says it is it sounds like Noah wakes up, finds out what happens, and then immediately the words out of his mouth are... Um, are cursing his grandson, his youngest grandson. Um, so it doesn't sound that there, like there was a lot of like 
contemplation, maybe evaluation of the choices that he'd made that had got him in that position, which you can argue that like if he's the first person to ever like try wine, perhaps he didn't know what it would lead to. But there's still not a moment of like, hey, I'm maybe I'm not feeling good. Maybe I'm hungover. Maybe I um, should give myself a beat or take some responsibility. Instead, it seems like from the text that his immediate reaction is to just um, curse the, the very specific descendant of his son. And I think as we one of the things that's happened as we interpret the story is we often assume that um, we, we sometimes assume that God plays a role in a story that he may not. And so one of the assumptions that people often make with this story is that God is in the curse. And that means that we have to then justify why God would make that curse. And that people have used that to try and identi identify what Ham did wrong. Because the curse seems like an overreaction to walking in on your dad naked. And so there have been interpretations that... Uh, take that really far to say what what does it mean what what like euphemism might be happening here that shows that that Ham is doing something horrible to his father in order to justify this terrible curse and you can read on those on those theories but it does seem to be pretty clear that the thing he did wrong was he looked at his father naked and then went out and he responded to that by telling his brothers about it. Um, because the solution to what he did wrong was to cover him back up. So it, the, the, if the solution is covering him, then the problem comes from just seeing him uncovered. So it seems like what Ham is doing wrong here is he sees his father naked, which is not a sin to walk in on somebody naked, especially if you don't expect it to happen. This is a first time thing for Noah to get drunk and, and be found this way. But it's what Ham does with that. It's that he, he doesn't do anything to, to cover his father's vulnerability, which in that culture would have been expected because that's what the other sons do. Instead, he goes out and he starts telling his brothers about it, which is, is uh, even worse than if he had just you know, walked out and not said anything and just walked away. But he seems to be um, maybe gossiping or maybe uh, just not helping his father you know he's he's making it worse he's taking advantage of it even if it's just to have a laugh at his expense with his brothers it's uh not a kind response to noah's weakness at the time um yeah yeah and and that level of like extreme vulnerability mm -hmm. um noah is not in a place where he could uh, protect himself he's uh not in a place to guard himself in any way and ham mocks Mm -hmm. which it's not like this is something that's happened a lot or that he has, this is his very first reaction to encountering someone like this. Cause it's the first time it's happened and he, he mocks, he, he laughs, he, he gossips, he exposes um, Noah's weakness, which is not a very kind thing to do. No. And the brothers seem to cover, um, cover Noah in a way that respects, respects him. And, mm -hmm. That kind of leads to an indication that at least the way they viewed nakedness in this culture, you know, is, is a very intimate thing. And it wasn't something that the brothers wanted to intrude on. Um, and, you know, Ham going in there unexpectedly seeing his father naked, while it's not necessarily a bad thing, how he responded to it is kind of the key aspect. Right. Um, and when he goes and tells the brothers, they say, well, we know he's naked and we want to respect him and respect his 
you know, privacy, intimacy, whatever you want to call it. And so they, without looking, go in and cover up their their father. And so that indicates to us that this is um, this is an important thing, while maybe not leading, not being important enough to maybe curse your grandson over it. I don't know, but you know, it, it is an important ordeal and um, some sort of frustration or being upset or anger is is probably um, you know acceptable from Noah. Mm-hmm. Maybe to the point of where he reached with it is a little bit too far. Um, is yeah. probably the question. Yeah, this is definitely a character revealing moment for the sons. Yeah. Well, and I think that my pushback would be that without the consultation of the Lord, I, I don't know that it would ever be acceptable to curse someone. Um, God has just tried to um, remake everything and to renew the earth. And Noah's family is um, are the people that that's going to happen through. And it's been some period of time. Anyone who's ever cultivated grapes knows that the cultivation of grapes and then turning the grapes into wine, you know, takes a hot minute. But it really has not been terribly, terribly long. And already you see this this dysfunction and this brokenness in the relationships of of the family that's um, (laughs) that God's, you know, renewing the earth through. I think that's really sad. Yeah, and I don't think anybody's saying that the curse is justified. I think that that uh, a negative reaction to um, to the way Ham treated him is understandable. The question is, the is it was he right to? And I think, I think that's the next stage is um, what role does the curse play in the story? Because again, we sometimes assume when a the main character of a story, especially someone who in chapter seven was identified as righteous does something that must be the right thing. And so our read of this has often been characterized by assuming he was right to curse him. Um, <clears throat> but um, that's, I think that's the question that we have to ask. Is he, is he right to curse Canaan? And are there, sing, are there signals to us that he might not be based on the text? I think that's a good question. Um, you know, obviously we weren't there for, what went down or the situation. And I think there's, there's times in our lives where, um, you know, something, maybe we screw up somehow or someone wrongs us somehow. And our initial reaction is a lot stronger than, you know, if we had gone away and and prayed about it and thought over it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I don't, obviously curses in general are handled in a much more serious way in scripture than I'd say they are now. You know, we have different ways of kind of cursing people in our context. But I would say, you know, there there are instances, and I've talked to people who have instance, have had instances with their family where something, someone is wronged, and the way the person is wronged, or the way that the person who was wronged responds to the other person creates a drift and a significant um, separation in in a family. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just by something that's said. You know, it's in a sense kind of cursing them. You know, whether they kind of cuss them out or whether they, you know, say something terrible like, you know, I I hope you die or something like that, you know. It's like this initial response is a lot stronger than if they had gone away and thought about it or prayed over it. And I just wonder if that is what's happening in this story. 
mm-hmm. where maybe Noah says something so strong that is now recorded in scripture and kind of leads a certain people down a certain path. Um, and I just wonder if that's kind of the case in the story, if it's just an instance where Noah overreacted um, and that was what was taken to heart because that happens today. Yeah. People overreact and people take those things to heart and then kind of almost never get over it. Yeah. And it creates a complete separation in families in church families. It happens uh, with friends. Um, and so I guess I just wonder if that's what's happening. It seems as though that might be kind of the case, yeah. um, at least in my head, in my opinion. Yeah, I think you're right that human beings, there is power in the curses of human beings, even if we're not bringing in like magical powers or anything, but there are consequences to human curses. Um, and I think that's the direction we're going to head in, but I'm wondering what what do we see in the way it's written that might tell us to to read it that way, as opposed to it coming from God. I think it's really interesting that, you know, for all of his blessings, um, his his other sons are, you know, God, praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. Um, may God extend Japheth's territory. Like, like there's the, the, all the blessings acknowledge the Lord and seem to put the Lord in a place of authority over the lives of Shem and Japheth. And with Canaan, like, I, I wonder there's not curse be Canaan, God has abandoned you, you know, curse, like curse be Canaan. God has told me that it's okay to curse you. Like, like, like the name of the Lord is not in that curse. And, um, I, I, I don't know quite what to do with that is, uh, is Noah assuming that now Ham's family is outside of God. That seems like quite an assumption or is Noah behaving in such a way that he knows he should not bring the Lord's name into a curse. He does bring it in in 26 and 27. And I think the implication when he says, may God extend Japheth's territory and then may Japheth live in the tents of Shem and may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. There does seem to be an implication that he is asking God to do that, Mm. but he certainly doesn't seem to be saying it on God's behalf as a prophet. It seems to be almost more like a a wish that God would do this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I think there, there's a couple of, of big red flags right off the bat as we read it. First of all, I think Genesis assumes that you're reading it in order and you're kind of tracking. And uh, this is the first time a human being has cursed someone before cursing has been exclusively God's role. Just like seeing things are seeing that things are good. That's something that only God does. And then um, Eve does that instead of him. Uh, cursing seems to be God's prerogative and Uh, Noah takes that on himself here. The other, the other real puzzle here that we haven't quite mentioned is the fact that God or Noah doesn't curse Ham. Ham's the one who did something wrong. He curses Canaan, which if you read the super exciting genealogy in chapter 10, you see that Canaan is one of Ham's four sons. It's his youngest son, which is weird like he he picks the youngest kid. He doesn't curse Ham's whole family. In fact, he curses Canaan relative to Ham's other brothers. So in a way, that's almost like a blessing to the other brothers that they're at least going to be better off than Canaan. Um, so it's it's just this strange thing that God doesn't tend to do. God doesn't tend to carry the consequences of a parent onto a specific child. Um 
and I think another problem is I don't think that this actually ends up happening. Like, again, if you read this, because in, in immediately in chapter 10, it goes through this genealogy and you find out that uh, Shem's descendants are the, the Semites, which is actually where we get like anti-Semitic. Um, that includes uh, Jews. That includes all of Abraham's descendants. It includes the Babylonians. But then Canaan is specifically the tribes that are around Canaan. And... Um, and Japheth is mostly the Greeks. And so the idea here in verse 27 is that the Canaanites are going to serve the Greeks and the Greeks are going to serve the, the Jews or the Israelites. And that arrangement never happens. God doesn't seem to actually fulfill this curse, which to me would be a sign that it's not from him. Well, you also see, you know, when people throughout the Old Testament would communicate, um, whether it be a curse or anything that God says to uh, his people. It's a very serious occasion. And um, this seems to be an occasion, you know, at least through through scripture, where there isn't a whole lot of thought given given to what the curse is or how God is cursing someone. Um, you know, I mean, I... I certainly, you know, if I were uh, a prophet, you know, in the Old Testament or something like that, and I were to be communicating what God was wanted communicated to the people, I certainly want to wouldn't want to wake up from a, a drunken stupor and um, communicate what God wants me to communicate to people. Like that doesn't seem effective, nor would it seem like I'm in the right mind to be doing that. Um, and so it just kind of seems like, you know, and there's there's no. Obviously, there's no, like, thus saith the Lord or anything like that. It's just, you know, it kind of seems like Noah just starts spouting off, like, mm -hmm. may you be cursed, may, may Canaan be, be cursed, and, and may he be the slaves, and, you know, may his people, his descendants be the slaves to your, you know, other people and all this stuff. And it's like, whoa, okay, that seems to be a bit excessive and, and um, kind of out of nowhere. You know, you say it's kind of random that it just be the youngest son that's kind of out of left field that just doesn't that seems very random and not as though that's what god would have intended um yeah. and even though god doesn't bring the whole thing doesn't actually seem to honor the curse it does still have at least the effect of creating a conflict between canaan and uh the descendants of canaan and the other descendants uh and the descendants of shem that drives through the entire old testament so there's definitely just like with cain there is this, this, um, uh, what's the, not her the heritage, the, there's, there's this generational effect of uh, Noah's knee-jerk overreaction. Which humanity has the power to do. Yeah. You know, we have the power to do something like that. That doesn't, you know, God doesn't need to intervene in a situation like that to cause humanity to have those types of, those family or, um, you know, cultural, like, divisions right mm -hmm. humanity is fully capable of doing that just looking like what the hatfields and the mccoys you know stuff like that where yeah. it's like these families for generations just despise each other because of one thing that someone said or one action that someone did um and it just kind of carries on and it carries on throughout the old testament this specific kind of um separation and, and family ties i was just thinking too like if we say that hey, perhaps Noah got drunk on accident. Maybe that wasn't intentional. It's the first person to imbibe wine. He didn't realize what was happening. You know, 
he, he made a mistake, right? It happens. He made a mistake. Um, and then because of his mistake, other, other people's response to his mistake um, upset him, was disrespectful. And so he handled it quite poorly. And I was thinking like, that's probably a very relatable example in our own lives in big and small ways. I mean, probably some of us come from places of extreme family dysfunction. But even if you think about just like minuscule things, if I, if I double book myself for like, um, you know, for any kind of scheduling thing and, and, and then it's pointed out to me in not the best way or, or someone gets upset, do I then, you know, lose control of my temper and get upset at other people for scheduling things in a way that wasn't convenient to me or, or whatever it was. Like in, in the big and small things in our lives, when mistakes happen, how do we respond to others? And I think, you know, as Jack was saying, that can be one of the, um, the big things that divide or unite us as humans is how we treat other people and how we treat ourselves when mistakes have been made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's an there's a connection to be made between what Ham does to Noah and what Noah does to Ham. Because Noah has made himself vulnerable and uh Ham exploits that and doesn't cover it up. And then Ham is made vulnerable and exposed by the fact that he has done something wrong that his whole family knows about. And Noah has an opportunity to respond to that in a couple of different ways. And he responds by exposing it and, and making it like blowing it up and turning it into this huge thing. And, uh, he had the opportunity to handle it in different ways, you know, and, and he, there could have been forgiveness. There could have been an equivalent of covering that up for ham. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, and instead he just leans hard into Ham's the fact that Ham is exposed in this way. And we do that a lot as Christians sometimes. I think we are, it's satisfying to see an opportunity to hammer someone's weakness because they've done something to us mm-hmm. and we now have some power over them. And so instead, uh, you know, it says in, in the New Testament that love covers over a multitude of sins. Mm. And the sense seems to be that when we love others, we, we don't exploit their sins. We don't we don't put them on display. We cover them up, which isn't like a cover up. It's like dealing with them, helping that person to deal with those sins and to to resolve the consequences of that sin with them. Um, yeah. And so often instead, you know, we turn to shaming others when we have felt shamed. And and so how do we how do we break the cycle for ourselves um, and, you know, in our in our families and in our church communities of responding well, because a lot of times it's these knee jerk reactions. So it might not be in the moment that we're going to have a, like a deep analytical, healthy thought process of like, Oh, this is how I should respond. And this is what I should say. And this is what I should do. Usually in the moment in these kinds of situations, it's like, I have felt shame. I have been embarrassed. My flaw has pointed out. I'm going to immediately say this thing or do this thing to the other person. And so the work that we do to respond better to others, I think is a lot of like, like preparedness in our own heart in hopes that when those circumstances come up, we respond better. And then if we do fail and if we do respond poorly, what are, 
what are we willing to do to repair the mistake that we've made or the sin that we've done against someone else? Well, this uh, story has definitely directed us into quite a conversation. And, um, you know, if you want to continue the conversation, please feel free to contact one of uh, the pastors here at Trinity Christian Church. And we'd love to uh, continue chatting about that with you. Uh, but for for now, we're going to have to be signing off from the Fully Grown, fully grown Podcast. So uh, we thank you for joining us. We pray you'll, you'll join us next time. Um, and uh, for now, this has been Pastor Jack. Pastor Rachel. And Pastor Matt. And stay healthy. Stay hopeful. And go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Bye. Bye.